fear is an unpleasant emotion. We all know fear, don't we? Our brain starts to spin and adrenaline throws, flows through our body and then our muscles tighten. Fear, like everyone knows it. Well, um, let's play a little game. Now, we're adults. We're not going to stand up or do anything silly, but we'll just do a little science. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read you two different types of fear and I want you to share which one are you most more likely to be more scared of. No embarrassment. We're all friends, okay? I'm going to say big words, but the pictures will tell you what you're, what you're scared of. Ready? Arachnophobia or aphidiophobia? Do your little signs. Which one are you slightly more fearful of? Because you're all tough guys, right? 10.45. You're all in bed till 9.30 this morning. Yeah, right? yeah. There's more snake people in this room. Okay, next one. Acrophobia or claustrophobia? Heights or enclosed spaces? Mm, interesting. Trypanophobia or mysophobia? Okay. Fear of injections or fear of germs? How did you deal with the pandemic, people? Most of the time we can keep our fears controlled, can't we? We know how to do it. We watch lots of TV or we eat lots of chocolate. But sometimes our fears kind of just go wild. And that's been the story of the last two years. We've been living through the age of fear. Our world has been going through two years of fear. If your work or school or holidays have not been upended, you are an anomaly because everyone else in the room has had that happen. Our social fabric has changed. We never used to be scared about who we stood in line with, who we go to a cafe and sit next to, or who knocks at our door. We're scared of people who knock at our door now. Some people have been so scared to not leave home for two years. We've all sat here and been worried about family and friends in Sydney or Newcastle or, or England or Perth or wherever. And we're worried about 2023. I mean, what, what is next year going to bring? And do you know, for the first time since World War II, and most of you have ne- were not around in World War II, right? But our world since World War II has had global fear of death. First time in 70 years. Across the world, the researchers say, human beings have been thinking about death two times as much. That's a lot. We've been saying, am I going to die? What will happen when I die? I read this professor's quote this week. I thought it was profound. I'll read it to you. Uriel Abeloff said, The fear of death has been compounded by pandemic politics leveraging the media and academics to cultivate a global sense of dread about health and death, causing stifling polarisation and a grim mental, moral and material toll. It's been awful. In 1918, there was a pandemic. In the 80s, there was the AIDS pandemic. In the 2000s, there was the SARS pandemic. All of them are just as infectious as COVID, all of them just as deadly as COVID, but didn't have this impact. What's been the impact? It's because every single morning for the last two years, you've been told about how many people have died. It's been on your social media, 
It's been on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald. Wherever you get your news, every day, this is many people died. This is many people died. And every single one of those is a person. Global fear of death. Now, death, if we were just to think about it as a concept, it's natural. We're born, we die. But it doesn't feel natural. No one here this morning is going, oh, that's just natural. No, it feels wrong. And what do human beings do? What do we do? Well, we spend our lives just living as if it's not going to happen. And then we hide it in a nursing home so we don't have to smell it or see it. Or we try and control the end of it and go, I'm going to die on this day. That's the modern way. But that was until 2020 when death just kind of roared out of the cupboard. And every single one of us has actually been confronted with the fact that I'm going to die. That's the reality. Every one of us has a limited amount of time on this earth. And so that means we've all got to work out where our ultimate reality or where are we heading towards. Now, one very common possibility around Orange and beyond is that this is it. We live, we die. And so we want to make sure that this ride is as good as it gets, right? If this is it, we're going to ride this plane as good as it gets. Another possibility is we invent pithy, sweet, nice things to say about the future. We say, Shane warns looking down on us. I don't know if that helps you. It doesn't help me at all. When anyone, whenever I'm told, oh, they're looking down on me, they've gone to the better place, that makes no sense to me when I'm mourning the death of my grandma. It's just an invention. Pithy. Trends online, but not helpful. Christianity declares that the historical resurrection of Jesus deals with the fear of death. Christianity declares that the resurrection of Jesus deals with the fear of death. The Bible calls it good news, the good news. And it declares that Jesus defeated death in history and then invites you and him to join him in the triumph over death. That's what our little passage in the Bible that Tim read is all about today. It was written by a guy called Paul, and he had seen Jesus rise from the dead. And he knew this church in modern-day Italy, Greece, sorry, and he wrote them a letter. Now, this little church in 50 AD, life was great for them. It was like they were living in Orange, right? They lived in the best place in the world. Life was good. There were four seasons occasionally. They were gifted. You know, like, they loved it, right? But they were horribly, horribly... Um, weighted down by death, so confused. What What did Paul write in his letter? Did he say, just chin up, guys? Chin up. She'll be right. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, your cloud is reserved for you when you die and you can fly off into... No, he doesn't say that. What he says is this. God's got good news. God's got great news. Because Jesus has come to deal with the fear of death. We see four things. Ready? Number one, that Jesus' resurrection has a timestamp. 
Today's the April the 17th, if you haven't looked at your phone yet. April 17, on this day in 1975, Victoria Beckham was born. 1962, April 17, 1,400 Cuban exiles invaded the Bay of Pigs. Time stamped. It happened. 1970, April 17, Apollo 13 got back to Earth. We've all seen the movie, Tom Hanks, you know, oxygen explodes. Today was the day they got back to Earth, 1970. Time stamped. Jesus' resurrection has a time stamp. You see it there in sentence verse uh, verse 3. That Christ, Jesus Christ, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And that on the third day he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. What Paul's saying is Christianity is all about what Jesus did in history. Jesus died, Jesus buried, Jesus was raised. Each of those proves the one before. The lifeless body of Jesus on the cross was taken down, it was put in a tomb. Bang. On the third day, the tomb was empty. Jesus rose from the dead, just as the Bible said he would, just as Jesus said he would. Christianity, it stands or falls on these historical events. I want you to know, if Jesus did not die and rise again, then Christianity is an example of option two. It's just an invention, pithy, nice thing. We come along, we get a little bit of encouragement, and we try and go and do good works. That's what Christianity is, if Jesus is not historical. Take out the history of Christianity, all you've got is an invention. But if it happened in history, then one person in the world has beaten death. One person. Number two, Jesus' resurrection was a public event. All of you have been tricked by fake news this year. You don't know it, but you have. Someone has told you something to make you believe something that didn't happen. Is that the resurrection? Is it two blokes in Russia came up with a great idea and just spread it through the world, right? Like, is that what's happened? No. It didn't happen in a back room. It happened in public. It was witnessed by a huge range of people across different circumstances. Can I I share it with you? It, It takes a whole breath, this sentence. Jesus appeared in Judea and Galilee, two regions, in towns and countrysides, indoors and outdoors, in the morning and the evening, by prior appointment and without notice, up close in the distance by a lake and up a hill by groups, with groups of men, with groups of women, in individuals and a group of 500, sitting, standing, walking, eating and always talking. And they met a resurrected Jesus. They didn't meet a resuscitated Jesus, you know, boom, boom, boom. Oh, he's back to life after being beaten up for six hours. No, he was dead. The Romans were good at it. He was resurrected. He wasn't a ghost. He had a body. They could touch him. He spoke. He ate. He was Jesus, but different. The historical evidence is overwhelming. It's not mass psychosis. The witnesses saw Jesus and it changed the world. So point three, what happened? If you knew Jesus' mates, they were embarrassing. They were wusses. On Easter Saturday, they were in a room ordering Uber Eats, right? They weren't leaving. They were so scared that they were going to be captured and hurt just like Jesus was. 
after Easter Sunday, when they'd seen Jesus resurrected, do you know what happened? They spent every minute of their life from then on telling people that Jesus died and rose again. And it meant that all of them were killed for it. In a bedroom, scared under the bed, to dying for that. What happened? Actually, it didn't just stop with them being killed. That Jesus movement never died out till today. The message of Jesus' resurrection has spread from person to person, from zero all the way up to 2022. It transforms individuals, families, towns. It upended the Roman Empire. We all know this, don't we? That Jesus' teaching is basically the foundation of how we do life in government, how our ethics are written. All of those things is influenced by Jesus because his words kept getting shared. And even today, Christianity is growing. It's growing in places like Iran, where you are killed if you become a Christian. Something happened 20 centuries ago. You know what the Bible says? It was the resurrection. Jesus Christ exploded out of the grave and he triumphs over death. What do you think happened? Tom Wright, he's a historian, he says this. If you rule out the resurrection, you have a formidable challenge to explain an empty tomb, the eyewitnesses, and the growth of Christianity for 2,000 years. It's a formidable challenge if you want to say the resurrection didn't happen because all the evidence points to the resurrection. And if you're a Christian here this morning, if Jesus didn't rise, then Jesus is a liar. And I'm not following a liar. So point four, what did Jesus do? What did it achieve when he rose from the dead? It's not a mega miracle. It's not the Disney ending to Good Friday. Good Friday, Jesus hangs on the cross. It's painful and yucky. Oh, at least Easter Sunday, at least he's risen. It's nice. No, no, no. When Jesus rose from the dead, he broke the cycle of death. You know that icky feeling you have about death? I actually think that's good. Because, yes, it's natural. We're going to die. But death is not something in God's world we were meant to experience. You see, when God made us people, he made us to live in relationship with him as his image bearers, connected to the God of life. But every human being has turned their back on God. The Bible has a word for it. It's called sin, S-I-N. But all it really means is human beings, we turn away from God and we do our life our own way. The problem is, is if God is life and you turn away from him, you get death. Sin leads to death. Death is what sin chooses, what sin receives, what sin deserves. And every single human in the world is stuck in a cycle of sin, death. Now, Good Friday, Jesus died on the cross. He died as a just and complete punishment for you, for all of your sin. It's a great act of love, right? That someone would take your punishment for your things. That's what God does for you. But if Jesus is still dead, death wins. 
and your sins are not paid for. We know death is strong. Death has a 100% success record. Until Jesus rose from the dead. There is a new champion. The risen Jesus declares that the cycle of sin and death, it's broken. That if you sit here this morning and you trust Jesus as your saviour, yes, your sins are forgiven. Great news. And your death is defanged. It's no longer your destination. It's no longer that big cloud. It's just a gateway. A gateway to heaven. Great. A man who writes better than me said this. What was once an executioner is now merely an usher to convey us into the resurrected life with God. We're all going to physically die, but death has no power, no sting, if it is defeated by Jesus. There is no fear of death if you're a Christian, and it changes your life. 1527, another pandemic, the bubonic plague. It was awful. It spread through Europe. It's it's just a horrible part of human history. And a guy called Elector John the Steadfast, he was kind of an important guy, he commanded Martin Luther, who was a pastor, to leave his home and go and save his life. And Martin Luther said, no, I'm staying. I'm staying to care for the sick and the dying. And during this pandemic, he wrote a letter, and it was called Whether One Should Flee from a Deadly Plague. He wrote that some Christians thought they should flee, and some Christians thought they should stay. And Luther said, both can be right. Why did he say that? Well, to socially distance, separate, to care for yourself and for those around you to stop infection is Christian. It's a way of love. On the other hand, if you as a Christian find yourself in a situation where retreating leaves people defenceless, they should stay and care for the sick and the helpless. And Luther concludes that people, Christians should assess their situation carefully. The foundation for Luther's realistic response to that plague was his complete lack of the fear of death because he knew and trusted the resurrected Jesus. You see, Luther grasped that if you live with fear of death, you will go to primarily self-courage or self-protection. Oh, we've seen that the last two years, haven't we? Self-courage. People we know who will refuse safety precautions of any kind to show that they're strong, courageous. And then on the other hand, empty shelves at Woolies. Panic buying, panic buying, panic buying. Horrible fights online about whether schools should be open or not. Self-protection of lots and lots of various kinds. Like, 
It's like they hadn't read Luther. No, they hadn't read Luther, right? It's 500 years ago. You see, the fear of death causes horrible things in humans. And then Luther said, if you conquer your fear of death, you can ask the question, what's the most loving thing I can do in my situation right now? Is it to care for my neighbour who hasn't left their house in two years? Oh, they might give me COVID. That's okay. But I'm a Christian and I'm not scared of death. Therefore, I know I can work out what the most loving thing is to do and then I'm going to do it. None of us can escape death. It's going to be horrible and painful. But it's not the champion. It's no longer a big dark cloud in your future if you're a Christian. Because there is one more powerful than death. And he has death in his past. See, the risen Jesus, he's alive today, sitting on his throne. He's with us at church. And what the Bible tells us is that every single one of you and me has an appointment with him when we die. And when we meet him, he will either say welcome or depart. All those who trust in him as Lord and Saviour, you're prepared. He will say welcome. Your sins are forgiven. Welcome. Your judgment is in the past. Welcome. Your death is just a doorway to the best life. But if you're not ready to meet Jesus this morning, that's okay. But don't just leave it there. There's one who's beaten death. There's one who means you don't have to ever live with fear of death again. There's one who can take all the times you've turned away from your loving creator and forgive that. What do you do? There's a pile of these at the back door. Just take one. They're free. Start in the middle. Weird book. Start in the middle. Start at a book called Mark. And just read this, the story of Jesus. See what he said. Assess whether he think, you think he's worth reliable. Or if you just don't want to read a Bible, just take one of these. Tim's found them. Tim's up the back. He read the Bible. He, he says, these are a great summary of what God has done for you. And it will help you know what the next step is. Even easier, just turn up next Sunday. We'd love to meet you. You'll be always welcome. And we'll just keep talking about who Jesus is and what he's done. And you will never, ever feel left out. Easter Sunday. Jesus is risen. And he deals with the fear of death. If you're a Christian here this morning, you're free of that burden forever. It'll keep creeping back in. That's okay. But it's gone. It's popped. He's the champion. And more than that, he gives you the freedom to work out what the loving thing is to do in every situation of your life. Because you don't have to do self-courage or self-protection ever again. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we talk to you in prayer this morning because you're alive. You're not in our brains. You're not in our hearts with an imaginary thought. You are on your throne in heaven and we speak to you and know that you hear us. Lord Jesus, just erase the fear of death of our, out of our lives forever because we now know that one has beaten it. So we rejoice as people who know the resurrected King. Amen.